Hey, it's Metal Dave here, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster, and welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the hottest band in the land, uh, soon to be the hottest band in the world. Of course, I'm talking about KISS. We are specifically getting into KISS Alive and KISS Alive 2, the two live albums the band put out during the 70s. Uh, considered milestones, considered a massive influence on a bunch of rock and rollers over the generations, and we'll get into all that in just a bit. But first, as usual, Jason, what's going on? You got any music-related news to share? What's up? Oh, too much pressure on music-related news. This, you know, this these intros to these uh, these things end up just being show and tell for me. You know that. <laughs> um, I have been, uh, you know, a little bit of home improvement, um, getting ready for summer and, uh, I'm looking forward to, to, uh, you know, basically COVID, no COVID numbers going down and hopefully playing some shows by the end of the year. Um, there's still no bag and still no cat to let out of it yet. So, you know, yeah. um, other than that, um, I uh, wanted to share something that I'm excited about getting into, and that is uh, a fast ride out of here. Oh, that's a good one. It's the Pete Way uh, biography, if you will. Yep. And um, I read a couple of excerpts, just kind of thumbed through it, and holy crap. It's great. Well, so you have this and you've read it already? Uh, I, I think Ginchy loaned it to me. Somebody loaned it to me and uh, I read it and it was just, it was fantastic. So Yeah, it doesn't uh, look like it's, a, it's too long of a read, you know, under 300 pages. And uh, I'm totally looking forward to it. I, I, the excerpts I saw in here where basically there's some smack talking about Phil. And I was like, I got to stop right now. They're talking crap about the lead singer in here. You know, it's like, I need to, I need to see what led up to that, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a great read. Obviously Pete, uh, lived a pretty, uh, hectic lifestyle, I guess you could say. And, uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there that people tend to forget about him, um, apart from UFO. Uh, his involvement, I, I think he produced the very first Twisted Sister record. That's right. Um, there's, uh, he was a founding member of Fastway, hence the yeah. name Fastway. Although yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing this like all things collide here when I think of Fastway. That must have been Fast Eddie and Pete Way hanging out because Fast Eddie's involved in Twisted Sister as well. Is he? Yeah, well, there's a well, he played He played some solos with him. He was involved. He was involved. Yeah. So in the making of Fastway, I totally believe that they were hanging out with Twisted Sister around the same time. There's some connections going on. Man, we're starting to talk about Twisted Sister a lot on Talk Louder. Uh, well, you know, they're a, they're a big part of our collections, right? Well, yeah, and, and Dee Snyder is just a badass. And yeah. it's it's the year of D. Snyder right now. He just had a birthday. His birthday, ladies and gentlemen, is the Ides of March. It should be easy for you to remember. And it's not too late for you to send D. a happy birthday, happy belated message. <laughs> happy right now. Go do it right now because we're happy, taping this. Yeah. You know, I don't have to wait for you. Happy twisted birthday. Yeah. Um, 
you know what about you? I, What's I, wrong with you? I caught an episode of, I know this has been out for some time, but I've never seen it before. I finally caught an episode of that Brian Johnson uh, television show where it's, it's called Brian Johnson, A Life on the Road. And, and I, I've only seen one episode, and I, I, I'm under the impression that because Brian is such a car geek, that the, that the show kind of has an element of cars, but then it quickly expands into basically him interviewing uh, his fellow rock stars and other musicians and stuff like that. And um, I saw an episode just the other day where he spent some time with Dave Grohl. And uh, it was really well done. I mean, I, I've got an immense amount of respect for Dave Grohl. I just, I just love him as a person and as a, as an artist and a musician. And of course, Brian is, you know, a God among men, you know, so uh, an hour of those two chit chatting together was, you know, was perfect for me. And the show was really well done, really well put together. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to uh, look into some other episodes. There was a couple takeaways from the Dave Grohl episode that really made me kind of made me smile. Um, Dave was talking about his very first gig ever. He played at a nursing home. And his band did a cover of the Rolling Stones song, Time is on Your Side. <laughs> and nice. then he realized after the fact the cruel irony of that song title, because, of course, in a nursing home, time is on no one's side. <laughs> uh, so he wow. thought, you know, after the fact, he thought that the choice of songs might have been a little inappropriate. But uh yeah, well, they was, didn't do they didn't do they didn't do uh, brown sugar, so they're okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it could always be worse, right? Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that was a funny little anecdote. And then there was a bit where Dave is talking about you know that Foo Fighters gig a couple of years ago where he uh, tumbled off the stage and broke his leg on the second song of the set, and it's some overseas gig. I want to say Sweden, but I could be wrong. But it's an overseas gig. It's massive, of course, because it's a Foo Fighters show. Second song, he trips over a cable, falls off the stage, you know, about 11, 12-foot drop, breaks his leg. Uh, he uh, requests a microphone. They bring it down to him. He's got a team of medics around him. He gets on the mic, and he tells the crowd, I've broken my leg, and uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, and I'm really sorry, and blah, blah, blah. And then a minute later, he goes, you know what? I bet I could do this show if I just sit down. So you guys get me on stage, put me in a chair, and I'm going to try and do the show sitting down. And the medic that's one of the medics that's tending to him says, if I let go of your ankle, your leg is going to be in way worse shape than it is right now. And Grohl says, well, then you're going to need to come up on that stage with me. <laughs> and so the guy did. and he, They propped him up in a chair, and there's a medic holding his leg, and Dave's got the guitar in his lap, and the mic is dropped down into his, you know, into his, into his lap. And he did as much. I don't know if he did the whole show, but he, he soldiered on. And I, I just thought it was funny that he told the medic, well, then you're coming up there with me because I'm doing well, the show. Well, the, the medic, uh, you know, the medic, I, I'm not saying that it would have been a good idea to just wrap the ankle in duct tape, but that's what duct tape is for. <laughs> yeah. So if the medic, he just, I mean, I think that it's great for a story that the medic was, was involved and, and came up there and, and uh, had have the utmost importance of holding his 
his bones together kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But for an hour, for what, 90 minutes, he's sitting there holding the leg and, you know, I, I bet, I bet it, uh, it would have turned into a comedy show. I bet Dave in between songs. All right. For this next song. Oh, wait, hold on a minute. All right. Hey dude, can I get you a drink of water or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I, like, I, like I said, it wasn't clear if the show lasted the duration of the intended time or if he just soldiered on through a few songs and then ultimately pulled the plug. But I, I just got a kick out of the fact that he was willing to do the show. And if it takes bringing the medic up on stage with him, then so be it. Because Dave was like, you know, all these people came all this way to this gig. And then he said, and I came all this way for this gig. And I'm still functional. I just don't have a leg. You know, so if I can do the show without it, I'll do it without it. But anyway, the bigger the bigger picture here is the Brian Johnson show. Uh, I saw the Dave Grohl episode. It was really entertaining, and I look forward to watching more episodes. What's uh, the name of that show? I think it's called Brian Johnson, A Life on the Road. Okay. All right. I have seen um, parts of... Uh, uh, of that show with different people on it. And I don't know if it's always a musician. I don't know that it is either. Yeah. yeah. I think that, uh, sometimes it's, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, but I know he did one with Lars and I saw some snippets of that. Um, you know, I, it's not on a channel that I believe I get, I'm going to have to download a damn app to watch that. I, the only reason I found it, and you, you all know what a caveman I am when it comes to technology, I stumbled on it on YouTube. So I guess this stuff is starting to trickle out on YouTube. Okay, well, that would save things because I have YouTube on my TV. I can watch it. Yeah, yeah, you, you can find it. I, I think the credit on YouTube went back to AXS TV or Access TV yeah. or the network, yep. whatever you call it. Yep. Yep. Uh, so that was probably the original source, but now it's starting to make its way onto YouTube and uh, Anyway, I stumbled on it and really enjoyed it. So props to Brian Johnson. It was a nice, it was a, it was a great way to spend an hour. This is going to be a good one. The hottest band in the world, Kiss. Oh, wait, can we do that again? Okay. Kiss. No, wait, my, no, hold on. My guitar fell off. Um, I want you to start with this because, uh, and I'm not going to lie. I'm holding source material. I mean, I have this, these records, both of these alive. That's what we're talking about is kiss alive and kiss alive too. Yeah. So yeah. Just underline that again. But, but I want, I want you, I'm holding these, both of these records on, on the bulky ass CDs that I have here. Um, I, I want you to start, uh, just go with your first initial, when did you first hear Kiss Alive and how did it make you feel? Yeah, uh, first let me set this up a little better. We did an episode uh, early on in the podcast about live albums and we purposely said at the top of that episode that we were going to exclude Kiss Alive and Kiss Alive 2 because we felt that those two albums deserved their own show. So here we are today dedicating the entire show to Kiss Alive and Kiss Alive 2 and the importance and the impact that those albums had, not only on us, but on generations of musicians that came afterwards and also, you know, people that ended up giving us more great music thanks to being inspired by Kiss and specifically those two records. Yes. So 
Um, my first recollection of Kiss Alive was I was living in Maryland at the time, and I was probably about 14 years old. And I was at school. There, I had a friend at school named Marty. And I should remember his last name because he turned me on to Kiss Alive. And I can't remember it for the life of me right now. But I do remember his name was Marty. He was an Oakland Raiders fan. He used to wear Raiders jerseys to school. So I was drawn to him and we were buddies. And he brought the Kiss Alive vinyl to school one day. And this is back in a time when... Um, you know, you had the boxy record player where you unlatched the lid and you flipped over the lid and you put the record on and the speaker was built into the box, you know, of one course. of these simple record player type things. Yeah. You were 14. That's the kind of record player you have when you're yeah, 13. Well, I, it wasn't mine. It was the school. So we're oh, at okay. the school. Yeah. He, he used to bring it to school. And I don't remember if we were skipping recess or if we chose to skip lunch, but, um, one one way or another, we used to gather, me and him and a couple other guys used to sit around this record player in school, on school time, and listen to Kiss Alive. And I remember seeing it and hearing it and just looking at the album cover, and I was just, I was done. That was it, man. I was a rock and roller from, from that point forward. It just... It was like nothing I'd ever seen, nothing I'd ever heard. Uh, the visuals were just over the top. The sound coming off that, even that one little boxy speaker in that, you know, that cheap little record player at the school, it just sounded amazing, man. And that was my introduction to Kiss Alive, and I'll never forget it. How yeah. about you? Well, I think, I want to say, uh, Jared, who's uh, behind the scenes right now listening, I want to say that I've heard him say just in passing or maybe in interviews and stuff that it was the album cover alone of Kiss Alive that blew his mind and made him just, I got to do that. That's what I'm going to do. And he can he can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I want to say that was it. That was the one. Um, it was the gateway drug. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. Yeah, and and, and that, that's definitely going to be uh, something that, that – comes up in this, uh, you know, quite a bit. Now, I remember our, where I was, Jared just texted me, he goes, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I was right. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> um, by the way, before we go any further, I want to mention, we, here we go, Twisted Sister again. Um, Jared sent uh, a thing to us earlier um, I want to throw a shout out to AJ Perro. Today is his death day. He died six years ago today, March 20th. And he was a powerhouse. Uh, Twisted Sister would not have been the band we know and love without him. Yeah. So uh, for all Twisted Sister fans and all just kick-ass rock and roll and heavy metal drummers, he was very, very, very good. And uh, under an underrated drummer, so I just want to throw uh, throw some beautiful light out to to him and his family and to guys in Twisted Sister. Yeah, well, you may remember I specifically mentioned him in our episode on drummers because of all the yes. things you just said. I always felt that he was underrated, and he was definitely a beast of a drummer, and he definitely drove Twisted Sister. And if you're driving Twisted Sister. <laughs> 
you've got big balls, man. Yeah, I mean, he, he could have been, he was like a Mickey D kind of a drummer. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was exactly like that. He played a lot yeah. like Mickey D, maybe a mixture of Mickey D and like Eric Singer. Yeah. You know, super old school heavy metal drummer. Anyway, uh, AJ Perro today, March 20th. Uh, so I was at a neighborhood friend's house. Uh, and uh, my friend's name was Ronnie and his older brother's name was Wayne. And we were in, and I think they shared a room and they had a small record player. And um, I don't remember if it was, no, I think it was on. I think they were, we were listening to it. And uh, same scenario. I don't remember the stereo being very kick-ass. You know, I think it was just like, a box with a speaker, you know, with a turntable in it, you know. Yeah. And it's what I had at home, too, when I was that young. And I remember I was, dude, I was young uh, because I was a full-blown Kiss freak uh, and called that by many of my peers uh, by 76. And this came out in 75. Right. Uh, be before it came out before right before destroyer correct uh so or or i know it was recorded in 75 it says 75 on here it was so, released in 75 too okay just making sure yep. and and I, I i he's like have you have you heard this and i and i'm like i hear it and i'm and i'm going whoa and he and i pick up the album cover and that was it yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't, I could, I could elaborate. I could be way more colorful. I could tell you what was, my blood was boiling. Not in like, you know, what people say. You know, my blood was boiling because I was angry. I was having the best some, day ever. <laughs> some kind of conniption. You know, I, I was, I was having some sort of emotional reaction. Yeah, and and it's the truth, and. You know, I I, tur I turned it over and saw the track listing, and I, I didn't know any of the songs. I'm I'm being truthful here. Um, so so here you go. I was probably I was I was ten years old in '75, and it was brand new. So yeah. I was ten or maybe eleven years old. Okay, so. I uh, didn't know any of the songs. I had to go backwards as a fan and pick up records prior. Yeah. But listen, I got there as fast as I could. So when you think about it, it's 75 when this came out. You know, 76 I'll throw in just because I really do think I was closer to like 11. Yeah. And my birthday's in March, so that would make sense. And it gave it a little time for it to reach me. Yeah. Little did I know it was trying to reach me, and boy, it reached me, right? <laughs> uh, it was making its way to me. So yeah, um, without without taking any more time, uh, I went backwards from there, and I couldn't tell you what song it was. I don't know if it was track one, Deuce, you know, or if I even heard the intro. You wanted the best, you got the best. Um, I I really don't know. Um, we'll get into a live two. I, I find it very interesting that a live two came out, um, you know, 
only like a year or two later. So they went from being the best band in the land to the best band in the world in just a couple of years, which yeah. I find fascinating. Yeah. Well, <laughs> That's that, a joke, by the way. You know, this, well, it, it actually, actually, it's not really a joke because, I mean, uh, Kiss had three albums out when Alive was released. The first three studio albums were basically considered flops. And Alive is what saved them. It, it not only saved their career, it saved the record label, Casablanca. Yeah, let me, let me interrupt for a second. Your, via your interview or interviews with Gene Simmons, the, the man himself, confirming yeah. all of this stuff to you, which, I mean, some of this stuff I take for granted, but not everybody listening is even a, a half the Kiss fan that we are. They might yeah. have one Kiss album or something, right? So yeah, um, and if yeah, you carry on. I hope it's alive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, so you were talking about the space of basically two years, going from the hottest band in the land to the hottest band in the world. Well, the reality is the first three albums tanked, and Alive saved Kiss's career and saved the record label uh, at at the same time. And, you know, you got to remember, uh, as you know, we've had this discussion before bands in the seventies were putting out two albums a year. Um, so by 77 kiss has destroyer rock and roll over and love gun under their belt. So two years exactly. later, they've got three more studio albums under their belt. And those, those albums were gigantic. So yeah, they were the hottest band in the world. You could say they were killing it by then, yeah. totally killing it. So two, two years later, they were the hottest band in the world instead of the land. And, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that the album was uh, was a gateway uh, to you and me as well. And uh, in the course of my interviews with various people over the year, that's the, that's the common denominator. I've talked to Phil Anselmo. Uh, I've talked to Charlie Benante. Uh, I've read interviews with Sebastian Bach, who's probably the biggest kiss freak on the planet, uh, interviews with Kim Thiel from Soundgarden. Uh, they all say that uh, I did an interview with Kirk Hammett, and he said the same thing. He said what you just said. It was the cover. I saw the album cover, and I was gone, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so well, it, you know who else? you know who else said that? And this is kind of a, an interesting I, – I find this fascinating – um, is in a lot of like, you know, sort of, you know, hardcore metal, like, like Pantera and Slayer, you know, real, you know, thrash metal and, and, uh, you know, black metal people and things like that. I think that it's, it's interesting to me because, uh, his fascination with hardcore and speed, you know, drummers who play fast, hardcore drummers yeah. is, uh, Dave Lombardo in an interview with you. He, you ask him what inspired you. He says, Kiss Alive. He says the drum solo inspired him, and he just started playing. Well, he also mentions, mentions Judas Priest, and he just started playing all the songs double time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, living after midnight, it's going boom, cat, boom, boom, cat. He's going put that, put that, put that, put that, put that, put that. You know, he's, yeah. he's like churning and burning the, the, yeah, the, the tempos. But but yes, it's the same thing that someone who's you wouldn't even think of being um, influenced by this record coming out, just like opening the vein and just saying, listen, right. this changed my life. 
Yeah, you know, another guy uh, that is a huge Kiss fan that, you know, along the same topic is Mike McCready from uh, Pearl Jam. You wouldn't necessarily think Pearl Jam was influenced by Kiss, but uh, because they don't sound like Kiss, but that doesn't mean they that they weren't a massive part of his childhood or a part of his growing up and a part of his influence and, and maybe how uh, influenced his style of play or whatever. But Mike McCready is a is a huge Ace Frehley Kiss fan. And uh, I think that's what we're talking about today. The impact of this album was so far reaching that it didn't just, uh, it just, it didn't just influence future rock and rollers. Like you could see a Sebastian Bach, but you know, there was no such thing as Pantera type music or uh, you know, Slayer type music back then. So these guys took it and moved on. And I'm glad you brought up the drums because, you know, we've all, we all know now we're, we're like, we're all like grownups talking about Santa Claus at this point when it comes to live albums, but we all yes. know. We, I didn't, I didn't just spoil something for you. Did I? Not at all. <laughs> I thought, not, not at all. I thought I saw a tear coming out of your eye. I, no, I, you know, some of us still believe in Santa Claus, but you know, okay. I, I don't want to be the one to break the news, but um, carry on. <laughs> um, I'll get over it. Yeah, we so we all know that uh, live albums are uh, you know doctored after the fact and whatnot. But um, the one thing about Kiss Alive that is well reported, and uh, Peter Chris has told me this in an interview that I did with him, and I think Gene said the same thing. On the Alive record, the only thing that wasn't doctored was Peter's drums. So the drum tracks are, they're real. Those were, those are live drum tracks. And then all the other stuff was tweaked here and there. And I read an interview with Paul Stanley that made so much sense to me. You know, um, a lot of bands maybe get criticized or used to get criticized. I think it's become accepted that live albums are doctored out of necessity now. But I think there was a time when people were starting to find out that they weren't truly live. They were like, oh, we've been... We've been ripped off. We've been had. But um, Paul Stanley made an interesting point in an interview that I read. And he said, back then, if you listen to a live album, you never heard the audience until the end of the song. And what Kiss was trying to accomplish with Kiss Alive was they wanted you to feel like you were at the concert. And obviously, when you're in the audience at the concert, you hear the crowd ebb and flow and you hear the the rise in the volume and you feel the explosions coming off the stage. He wanted you to feel immersed in the experience. And it wasn't just some kind of audience track that was tacked on to the end of the song. And, and he makes a very valid point because not only did they accomplish that goal, but he's right. You listen to that record and you do feel like you're in the arena with the band and with the crowd. And that's the beauty of it. So if they had to doctor it to give me that listening experience, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, you know, I've I've made live records, uh, whether they be official or official releases, or just to uh, e you know uh, have uh, you know as just backup for B sides or whatever. And sometimes there's cringy moments. Yeah. You know, sometimes you hear there be a cringy moment, and it only makes sense by a uh, by just like a professional standard. 
to fix that one dot that's making it cringy. Well, everything's great except for these little places that just sound like I stepped on a cat, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And it's worth it. It's worth it for the very little time it takes to punch that in and just kind of doctor that out, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's important for fans to actually know that that does happen. Oh, yeah. I think everybody knows at this point that that secret is long out. You know, it used to be one of the most well-kept, best-kept secrets in the music industry. And then people just started getting wise to it. And the Internet made it possible to share information uh, yeah. quicker and more more widely. And it's no secret now. If you're still believing that uh, a live album is truly live, then you're expecting Santa Claus on December 25th. <laughs> yeah. I think it's uh, – I think it's um... – I think it's watching you. You can hear the, the you know the crowd, you know the volume of the crowd crescendo up, and I think it's a fader. It's a it's a you know it's an engineer turning that track up, and then you hear the guitar come in, and if you listen now with the in intel we have now, if you listen now, you can almost hear how like perfect that riff sounds. It's yeah. very clean. There's not a whole lot of amp noise or anything like that. And, and and so there might be a couple of other places in the record, but that's a moment where it just sounds too clean yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, I'm not complaining when I say that either. Right. Because I love watching you. I love that song. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the fact that, that all of the drums are – let's talk about Peter Chris for just a moment because – you know, I've heard Paul Stanley say it. When he was good, he was kick-ass. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But when he was bad, it, it was hard to deal with. Yeah. You know, when he, was, when he wasn't on top of his game, you, he was wearing it on his sleeve, and it, it affected his playing tremendously, and it was almost unbearable. He was unbearable. Yeah. But then when he was on top of his game, when he was good, he, was, he could hang with anyone. And, and that's really, that's, that's either hot or cold. There's no warm, right? Yeah. Uh, kind of a review, but he must have been really hot for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is, if, if all of the drums on this record are, are, are truly live, he killed it. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, it was told to me firsthand and it's been widely reported ever since. And it's funny because, you know, people tend to pick on Peter and sometimes Ace as being the, the sloppy guys in the band or whatever. But if, uh, if Peter's drums are the one and only thing on that record that were salvaged and kept intact as they were played, then that's huge kudos to him and his performances. Yes. Yeah. Um, Quick little bit of trivia. Do you know who it was that did the intro? You wanted the best. You got it. The hottest band in the land. Kiss. I, I just always, uh, you know, I don't know. I know this stuff is out there on the Internet, but I don't want to know who, who Santa Claus is. <laughs> I don't want you to tell me who Santa Claus is. But I was always impressed with the tone and the swagger of whoever that was. And I always thought in the back of my mind that it could have been Gene. Nope. It is a guy named J.R. Smallings who was Kiss's um, original 
road manager and he was a black guy and I yeah that that explains that explains to me how it's I mean that sounds kind of strange but I always thought that it might have been a black guy because yeah, he, he sounds he, he sounds a little bit street you know and he's got yeah, some you wanted the best he's got some soul you know yeah, and he's and got thank some God he's got some swagger that announcement yeah. is like yeah we're here to do business brothers and sisters and we're gonna we're about to kick your he, ass and he's testifying he's yeah. testifying something right there and, and thank what, God that, he did that that intro is as familiar as someone shouting freebird in my opinion you know what I mean it's got yeah. That immortal that so uh much love to J.R. Smallings. He he just passed away a couple years ago. And I asked Gene during an interview one time, because I always wanted to know who was the guy whose voice is that? Because I was pretty sure it wasn't anybody in the band. They wouldn't introduce themselves. So I wanted to know who's this mystery person that's got this line, this introduction that's you know immortal, it's gonna live forever. I want to know who is it. And it was a guy named J.R. Smallings, and uh, well, he killed it. Yeah, he did. And uh, we, he kind of he kind of changed the world. You know <laughs> what I mean? When you kind of think he's part of the reason, right? Yeah. Well, he introed the album that uh, you know gave us Skid Row and Pantera and Anthrax. And, yeah. You know? Forget about it. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, it takes some credit there, J.R. Uh, yeah, I know, agree one hundred percent. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing before we leave Kiss Alive and move on to Kiss Alive 2, I wanted to say I have always been super, super jealous of the two guys on the back of the album cover holding up the Kiss banner. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about this. Before we hit record, we were we were talking about these these guys, which I always thought were girls. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now I might get hate mail for that. I doubt it. I don't. I don't think so. I think your comment to to me is thinking there were girls were. Hey, dude, it was the seventies. You know, right. I don't even know really what that means, but I just thought there were girls. I uh, I, I didn't. You know, they were these little skinny uh, human beings that were obviously there to rock. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't matter. Androgyny was especially back then. It was. You know, it was it was a you could the only thing different about really what was happening in fashion was the length of hair, right? Yeah. So the girl's hair looked like the guy's hair. Maybe yeah. that's why. No, you're you're right because both those guys have the parted down the middle, feathered back, you know, long hair, and but but so did Joni and Chachi. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Christy McNichol. You know, yeah. Leif, Leif Garrett, you yeah. know, the Brady Bunch, they all had that. So, yourself, bro. <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's all right, young man. No, I, um, I, I, I just always was fascinated by those guys. And I was like, oh, my God, how cool would that be? Because, you know, this album is going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. And not only is it going to live forever, it's going to be cited as one of the most important, greatest hard rock, heavy metal records of all time and smack on the back. And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm, I'm not educating anybody here, but I love the fact that it is a featured photo of those two guys. They're not part of a collage. They don't have to get out the magnifying glass and tell their grandchildren, this is me over here in the lower right hand corner behind this other big guy that's in front of me, you know, 
it is like, bam, we're holding this banner. It's me and my bro. And we are on, we are the featured artwork on the back of kiss alive, dude. So cool. Yeah. I, I, uh, didn't I, didn't I say something earlier? This is going to sound like, you know, I, I need to be trampled by horses or something, but, uh, uh, I, I, didn't I comment? It's like, I thought maybe, maybe I need to be slapped, but kiss was an O they were opening for someone at that show that that photo was taken. Uh, not that I'm aware. I think that okay, was okay. That I want I want fact checkers and you you know my fact checkers are people who watch the show who comment. So I want people to comment with truth, true or false. The the back cover of Kiss Alive, which they don't have it actually on this. Here it is, right here. Yeah, these these look like girls to me. <laughs> nah. So, so, so huge, man. Yeah, I want to. I want to say that Kiss was opening for someone when this photo was taken, and so you guys can kill me later, or I don't think so. I, I, okay. I, I asked Gene in an interview about that photo specifically, and he said, you know, he didn't indicate that they were opening for anyone. Of course, Gene never would. But um, I mean, at that point, um, Kiss was you know, doing pretty good business. That was the whole point of doing the, the, the live record. They were doing great. And as far as concert tickets were concerned, they just weren't selling studio records. Um, and obviously these guys are pretty close to the front of the stage and they're holding up a kiss banner. And, and Gene said, I asked him about those guys. And he said, we had a photographer walking around the arena and he saw those two guys with their homemade banner. And it was just a magical moment where, those two guys sort of sat, uh, sort of captured the sense of community that was taking place at Kiss concerts during that era. And so the photo was just a very random, it was not staged, unlike the cover photo. That photo on the back cover was not staged. It was just a photographer walking by, saw these guys, they stood up, they saw he had a camera and they're like, dude, check us out with our banner. And the guy took the photo. And Gene told me that, uh, you know, those guys still show up at KISS concerts uh, wherever they live. I think they're in the Michigan area, Detroit, maybe. Um, and they still show up and they, you know, the, the KISS guys treat them to passes and all this sort of stuff. And one, one guy is now a doctor and the other guy now is, a, is in real estate or whatever. Well, of course, one's a doctor and one's in real estate. That's what people grow up to do. Yeah. Cut their hair. Well, unless you're Sebastian Bach or Dimebag Daryl or, you know, or, or Charlie Benante or whatever, one, one of these other guys. And uh, I wanted to add another little story that I got uh, via an interview before we move on to Kiss Alive 2. Um, Phil Anselmo, I was talking to him one time and I asked him about what, you know, what was the first album he remembered that knocked his socks off and turned him into a rock and roller? And he said, when I was a kid, there was a drugstore near my house that sold records. And I went there one day and I bought two records. And one of them was Kiss Alive and the other one was Ted Nugent Cat Scratch Fever. Holy moly. Yeah, yeah. Those are grails. And yeah. he said, he said, Kiss, of course, I was I was already in love with Kiss without even hearing the record just because of the cover. Again, this is a very common theme we're hearing. Um and he listened to both of them and it took him about, 
it, it took them months to get back to Ted Nugent. It was Kiss right away, you know, yeah. heavy rotation. And uh, yeah, Phil Anselmo uh, cites Kiss Alive as the album that changed his world. So a very common theme. I mean, it definitely changed my world, changed your world, and changed the world of a lot of guys and girls that went on to create music that we we in turn love, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it you know it's not over. I was um, I was uh, God, I'm trying to remember. I think it was something they did in '94 or '95, uh, ninety ninety three. I can't remember when it when it was. Maybe you maybe you know. Kiss did a uh, a sort of like a traveling museum acoustic set type of a uh, they were gearing up to put the makeup back on kind of thing but they still had eric singer and bruce kulik uh playing and they i think i, I think it was in 95 before they started their tour with ace and peter Sounds right. they they uh had the some of the dates they had peter and ace show up and do some tunes with them this was acoustic. They were doing them in like uh, hotel ballrooms and um, conference rooms and things like that. They'd set up the, the 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 drum kit that you see on the the cover here and costumes from this tour, etc. And where I'm going with it is I I asked Gene where this bass was. Uh, this uh, this Gibson Grabber and it's it it looks like it's maroon with glitter. It's got like some kind of weird like dark red with glitter in the paint or something. And I I've never seen another one like that. And for a while I was collecting these old Gibson these '70s Gibson Grabber basses. I remember you playing one in Godzilla Motor Company. Yeah, and um, I still have a couple of them. But but yeah. I asked Gene that you know they used to pass they were passing around the microphone, and I asked Gene where that bass that you're holding on Kiss Alive. Um, and I think these guitars were props. I don't even think they were the guitars that they were playing live on stage these were just they just showed up from gibson for the photo shoot or something i, I know the photo is staged i don't know if the guitars are legit or not yeah there may be some uh some uh some nerd talk about this later uh yes. hopefully there is on the comments <laughs> yeah on the comments hope there's some nerd kiss yeah. nerds will unite and go in go in and crash our party and and unveil every truth that we might be getting wrong here and i really hope they do um but I, he said he had an answer he said uh, i don't really know uh probably a warehouse somewhere next question you know it was not it was not even a thought you know yeah, yeah. but i was serious about the question yeah well let's also um Let's also not forget that the the packaging, of course, uh, since you're talking about that cover photo, uh, Kiss Alive, the packaging was as inviting as the music and the cover. I mean, it came with a booklet. It had the the, the handwritten notes from each band member were on the inside sleeve. Um, so, I mean, if you're a 14 year old rock and roller uh, back in you know, the seventies, that, that package was just everything you could have ever wanted, you know? Uh, you're, you're not wrong. Uh, you know, there's like 16 songs on here. The, 
personal notes from the band that were obviously propped up in an actual photograph taken of them, um, I thought was a very cool touch. I think that... Uh, they kind of revealed a little bit about the personality of each guy. And remember back then, Kiss was very mysterious. So that was sort of those little handwritten notes on the inside of, of the sleeve kind of gave you a glimpse into their personality a little bit by the style of their their tone and the words that they used and their 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 handwriting and the little cartoons that they may have drawn or whatever it was it was a it was like another little like another little clue into the world of kiss because they were so mysterious at the time yeah uh they upped their i want to say they upped their game in alive too and we'll get to that as far as like uh, little goodies inside. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they did up their game a little bit. Uh, well, they were starting to they were starting to get. Uh, I almost said greedy, but I think that they, <laughs> oh. I think that they were uh, starting to to figure it out. Yeah. As to how they needed to do this because they are kind of like a circus, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got, you got demons and spacemen and and uh, you know star children and and Tyro, lions, yeah. tigers, and bears. Oh my, it's kind of a thing, right? They yeah. were they were on the yellow brick road. That is for sure. Yeah. Now, um, I almost don't want to stop talking about alive, but I feel like we should at this point. But yeah, before before we move on. We, uh, I just want to make note, and it's okay, we can keep rolling when I say Eddie Kramer. We should do one of our producer uh, spotlights and do Eddie Kramer because holy moly. Yeah. We can't, that's a can of worms that we will open later, but. Yeah. He was, uh, once again, he's like the fifth member of every band I can, yeah. it's yeah. in my collection, so. Yeah. Um. Yeah, let's move on to Kiss Alive 2. So we're talking Moving on to Kiss Alive 2. Yeah, we're talking 2 years later. So Alive comes out in 75, uh saves Kiss's career, saves the record label. Um that whole tour was financed on their manager's personal credit card. And I mean that that's how that's how down to the wire they were. And they came roaring back. Alive was a huge success. Um and then came uh, Destroyer, uh, Rock and Roll Over, and Love Gun, which brings us to Kiss Alive 2. Um, all three of those albums I just mentioned were huge sellers. Um, I think Kiss was probably the biggest band on the planet uh, during those years. Um, so talk about Kiss Alive 2. Do you remember the first time you got your hands on that record? You know, I, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't really have a... Uh a true like year or moment or memory of it. It was almost like, uh, from the time that I picked up alive, I had, I, you know, I, I had picked up all, all three and then I had, uh, I may have, I had, uh, you know, the, the other, uh, I had destroyer rock and roll over and love gun. And then I had, you know what I mean? It was like I, I had a stack of Kiss records like this before Kiss Alive 2 yeah. was even an idea in my mind. I, I didn't know about it, right? Yeah. So 
I didn't realize I was waiting for Kiss Alive 2 to come out until I saw it in the store. Yeah. You know what I mean? I walked into it. I'm like, oh, I'll have that. You know, it was like a, a no-brainer a no whether I knew it or not. But I absolutely, just real quick, the studio records that I just mentioned that lead up, that lead them to give give them a reason to, um, you know, to record shows from the Love Gun tour and put them out as Kiss Alive 2. Right. Uh, those studio records blew my mind. They're great. Yeah. There's there's so many great moments. I think that they nailed, you know, coming up with some sort of Peter Chris ballad to you know being to be up there with Beth, you know. Yeah. Uh I think that the fact that Kiss Alive to had both of those songs included on it had uh, is is another sort of like feather in the cap on how and who they're trying to sell to as well as the hardcore rockers who like the faster songs and they like all the gene songs with blood in them and stuff blood and fire right right um i like the fact that you know the that that kiss alive too they made a conscious decision not to include any of the songs that were already offered on kiss alive so, which is kind of unusual because most bands, especially uh, Kiss, at that point had had huge hits that that they could have included on on Kiss Alive too. Like Rock and Roll All Night is a prime example, but they they kept the they kept each live recording very um, unique and exclusive to the albums leading up to it, and they there was no overlap. And I thought that was great, and it didn't hurt that all three of those albums in both cases were just dynamite. So, you know, Kiss Alive really captures the first three records and does it really well and, and breathes new life into them and adds some energy and excitement to them. And then with Kiss Alive 2, they're, 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 they're coming off the heels of this, this three-album streak of greatness. So it's like, yeah, keep all those tracks on this album and so I thought it was like great that they were very unique documents that sort of captured the three studio albums that preceded them, but there was no overlap. Obviously, the first one can't overlap the future one, but the future one could have overlapped the first one, and it didn't. And especially when you consider that Kiss Alive 2 had enough space to include a side four that was all studio tracks. They could have filled that up with Hotter Than Hell and Rock and Roll All Night and, and things like that. But they were very uh, conscious about keeping it um, unique to the three albums that preceded uh, Kiss Alive 2. Yeah, so so uh, 15 live tracks and uh, five studio five. tracks. Yeah. Yeah, uh, one, uh, one of them being a cover, I believe. Dave Clark Five. Yeah, any way you want it. Yeah, and I think that um, those songs are fun, and they also make you go, "Holy crap! These are not going to show up on anything else." I bet these yeah. are songs that they've written these could have been left some of these could have been left over from just from you know love gun maybe yeah well, you know um 
the the uncredited guitarist on much of that studio side of the record is Bob Kulick. Ah. So that makes me believe that those were not leftover tracks because if they were leftovers, okay. it'd be Ace, you know. The right. only song on that on that studio side that is that Ace has a hand in is Rocket Ride. And and Rocket Ride is basically his song from start to finish. I think he plays all the instruments and he does the lead vocals. But the other well, three he get, didn't he didn't play drums. Ace don't play no drums, Dave. Oh, he might not have done drums. Okay, my bad uh, there. But but the point being that out of the out of that studio side of the record, Ace really was only present for Rocket Ride and the other tracks. Uh, Paul Stanley is single handedly credited for the whole Dave Clark Five tune, any way you want it. And then the remaining three tracks or whatever it is is uh, Bob Kulick on guitar, which is interesting because his brother Bruce later on became the lead guitarist in Kiss. But yeah, they were, about... they were obviously secret family style with Kiss. So yeah. That's, yeah. that's very cool and very important. Yeah. And a shout out to uh, the memory of Bob Kulick while we're at it as well. Yeah. Because he, he played on every, he played with everyone. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in doing some research for this show, uh, I learned, if you can trust Wikipedia, <laughs> um, that the all the live tracks on Kiss Alive 2 um, were basically pulled from live performances, as you would expect. But the song I Stole Your Love, which is one of my favorite Kiss songs, and I love it even more on Kiss Alive 2 because of the way it was presented in the live format, I read that it was actually recorded at Soundcheck one day during that tour and they dubbed in the audience. So it's not, it's not even a doctored live track that needed some help. It's a, it's a, it's a Soundcheck in an empty arena. Well, Soundcheck is live. So it's live. Well, yeah, it's, it's just not, it's with the, uh, the doors are not open. Yeah. Good, good point. That's true. Yeah. Good point. Yes. Um, and then I also learned that I, I think I've learned this in recent times, but so prior to Kiss Alive 2 coming out, there was a there was a decision made by management to do a live album in at Budokan in Japan. And so they recorded some shows at that venue with the intention of putting out a Kiss uh, Alive 2 record from Japan. And for whatever reasons, they thought the results weren't up to par and they kind of shelved it. And then I think some of this stuff has been re-released ever since, but it basically sat in the vaults forever. But the version of Beth and was it I Want You? Um, yeah, Beth and I Want You are leftovers from the Japanese performance. So on Kiss Alive 2, you basically have most of it was recorded at the LA Forum. That's correct. There was some other stuff recorded elsewhere, but I Stole Your Love is a sound check recording that had an audience dubbed in, and Beth and I Want You were leftovers from the, from the abandoned uh, Japanese live album that never came to light, and they were added to this record. Very, very interesting. Yeah, just some nerd uh, stuff because that's what I, I I love the nerd stuff about all this. <laughs> now, 
<clears throat> well, it's kind of important to the uh, to the memory of the record, which is obviously um, long lasting and important. Let's talk about packaging for a second. Yeah. So so this is this looks very different from Kiss Alive. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. So there's a typeset logo that's you know that's purple and red and you know it's faded from red down to purple. It's awesome. And it's beautiful. It's yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. And then Alive 2 is big as hell, uh, all capitals, and then it has the uh, close-ups of uh, the members. And the, I love these photos. These photos are amazing. Yeah, I was, I was just going to interrupt and say that might be the best photo of Gene I've ever seen. So uh, I, I've got some photos of Gene that would that rival this. Yeah, that's uh, a, uh, but but this is real. This is a real photo of Gene. These others look like they were staged. These the lighting is too perfect. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they could have been just photo shoots where they got the lighting like really awesome and then snapped some promo shots but yeah, yeah. gene that's obviously really live that could have been during his bass solo it could who knows it's a great but, oh yeah that's one of the most tattooed photos of gene's face that i've ever seen people love this photo of gene because yeah. it's real and it encaptures where he is when he's um in in the correct gear Right. It, it kind of captures everything we love about Gene. He's sweating, right. he's spitting blood, he's his eyes are rolled up into his head. He just looks demonic, and that's what we that's what we loved about Gene. Well, I, I'll put two words on it: nothing nice. <laughs> nothing nice. It's nothing nice. Yeah. You see this picture, you go, "Holy crap! Not, that's not, nothing nice. <laughs> Ain't nothing nice going on with that guy right there, right?" Which is exactly the appeal. That's what you want. Yeah, right. that's what you want. So, so that I'm not going to say that's a bummer because when I hold up, you know, the, when I think about the cover of Kiss Alive, we've already covered what this that photo alone can do. Yeah. This is a different aesthetic. This Kiss Alive 2 cover is a totally different aesthetic in my eyes. Yeah. Un and then the back the the back cover um, is a little bit different. Alive 2 is in gold, the logo is in red, and you get a close-up of those same four photos. Um, the, sorry, this, if you have the vinyl, and vinyl is really the only way to go. It really is the only way to go when you're talking about photos. Thank you very much, Dave, for holding that up. I'm sure we'll get a slate of that. Can you can you do me do us all the favor, Dave, and open up that fucking gatefold? This is what I'm talking about, everybody. You can't fit that on the <laughs> you cannot fit that on the front of the album cover. You cannot fit that, I'll say it again, on the front album cover. Yeah. Which is why they did that, right? Yeah. That's the difference. The stage was a lot bigger. <laughs> well, there was just, the band was a lot bigger. Yeah. As the intro would tell you, they went from land to world. They, they were, they, they were, they had, uh, they were a battleship as well as a tank. You know, they were on the water as well as instead of just coming to a couple of t cities, you know, they were they were finally global. Now, 
let's talk about this just for a second. This gives it some timeline. So, Dave, I, I mean, I know when it came out. Tell everybody the fir the first album came out what year? Studio first, stu yep. Kiss Kiss. Studio album seventy three. Three. I was going to say seventy three. Okay, so two years later, Kiss Alive comes out. During that time, the three studio records. So the Kiss Alive record has one hit on it, and it's Rock and Roll All Night, which is on the third studio record. Yet when you hear Kiss Alive on the radio or in the grocery store, yes, I said grocery store, you don't hear the studio version. You hear the live version, which is amazing to me. Rock and the Roll inner, All Night. Yeah, Rock and Roll All Night. The yeah, energy yeah. of the of it is, is perfect. Okay, yeah. so... They they had already by the time Kiss Alive is is out, they've already recorded some of Destroyer. They're already working on Destroyer. Yeah. Okay. So Destroyer, then um, Rock and Roll Over, then Love Gun. Two years go by, they release another live album, but by this time they are killing it. They are completely untouchable. Okay, yeah. that is in. 77 that they release Kiss Alive 2, right. which is the record we're still kind of talking about right now. Right. So let's count the years. So, hey, we're a brand new band. We're in clubs and small theaters and VFW halls and grandma's backyard and stuff, trying to, you know, get the makeup right and get the costumes right. And how are we going to clean this real leather? Oh, we need to make costumes that aren't real leather that just look like leather so they don't smell like a dead cow every night and blah, 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 blah. You know, they're, they're, they're working on it, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're trying to make plans to take over the world. Little do they know they are going to take over the world. In four years. Less. Se 73 to, no, let's go all the way to a live two. Okay. okay. 73 to 77 and the the mathematician is metal dave go how four many years four <laughs> i can't believe it four years yeah they went from obscurity to the biggest arena attraction in the world in four years with yeah. when you when you count the two record when you count the two live albums they've got how many records out they've got eight records out yeah that's what I'm saying. Bands put out two or three, you know, two albums a year and sometimes three if you throw in a live album. So in four years, yeah, I've got I've got this many records. I've got a stack of Kiss records like this. In four years, you arguably have, arguably, have every Kiss record you'll ever need. <laughs> <laughs> amen amen here raise your hey, raise hey. your glass raise your glass to that ching yeah. ching yeah, hit now, the camera with that ding 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 now now i will wow. say that i did like some stuff beyond that but i i did preface that by saying arguably so but you make a really good point you know from 73 the first the debut kiss studio album until 77 kiss alive 2 what we're talking about right now I mean, they just absolutely took over the world, and they've got, what, six, eight records out, you know? That's well, crazy. That's crazy. I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what to say about, you know, what these guys did to me other than they fucked my shit up. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's safe to say uh, 
you know, they did the same for me. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to end with one more story that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, parallels what we're saying right now. I remember uh, doing that interview with Kirk Hammett and uh, asking him about kind of similar to what I asked Phil Anselmo, what album was the first one that blew you away, made you want to be a rock and roller, blah, blah, blah. And he said, Kiss Alive. The, I'm going back to the first one now. And he said, I remember seeing that record and hearing the band. And then, and he says, and I just assumed after that, that every band was like that. And then I saw Peter Frampton on TV and went, nope. <laughs> right. They're not all like Kiss, you know. Right. Kiss was special, you know. They, they were over the top in a big, big way. And it was like, this is not normal. This is, this is like excess on top of excess. And I, I think that's what we're talking about today with this show. I mean, Kiss Alive and Kiss Alive 2 are, are two albums that really do the uh, almost impossible task of capturing the vibe and the excess. And you almost feel the pyro when you listen to those records, you know, and uh, whether they're doctored or not, I don't care. They're two of the greatest live albums of all time. And uh, you, you have to have them in your collection. Well, they were, they, these guys, um, I'll, I'll, I'll say it now. They are, and they were, especially during these years, um, completely dedicated to trying, making every effort humanly possible to blow your mind at a rock concert. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you mentioned Peter Frampton. Um, Peter Frampton Comes Alive is an excellent live record. Yeah. And it's excellent song crafting. And yeah. he had lots of hits. And he is everyone I know who had Kiss Alive had had Peter Frampton comes alive. Yeah. But, but it was, it was after the fact that they had kiss alive, that they got Peter Frampton yeah. and that, and, and, and the idea that, uh, you know, Peter Frampton became a household name after comes alive exactly the same way kiss did Correct. exactly the same way. Yeah. And so there's something to be said about what was going on with how important it was that these touring bands were drawing crowds because of the energy and the emotional value these concerts were giving people. You could say the same about Cheap Trick. They were nobody until Budokan, you know, yeah. and then boom. Uh, same thing like you were talking about rock and roll all night. When you hear surrender on the radio you don't hear the studio version you hear the live version that's right you know that's right so same thing it was there was a lot going on in that time and i know i took a dig at uh at, at peter frampton by way of kirk hammett but uh no 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 no, no. Love and respect to it to peter frampton yeah and i'm sure kirk hammett loves peter frampton too. yeah peter sure. frampton sure. is an excellent uh musician and songwriter and yeah, and uh, he did it. He 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 climbed to the top of the mountain and stayed there. Um, one more thing about the packaging. Now you confirmed this. Am I mistaken that Kiss Alive had uh, lick lick 'em and stick 'em tattoos in it? No. Two. The second Sorry. One, second one had. No, I, I mean Kiss Alive too. That's what I meant. Did I yeah. say just Kiss Alive? I'm in Alive too. I'm yeah. holding. I'm holding Alive Two. Right. Alive Two. Alive Two had the the uh, the temporary tattoos. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah. And it just had, uh, and they were terrible looking. They were cartoony as hell. Yeah. Um, I mean, we love them. Yeah. But yeah. And I don't remember uh, if there was anything else on there. Maybe there was a logo, a little red, red and yellow logo that you could lick them and stick them, temporary yeah. tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all four faces and a logo. And maybe, maybe one more was on that sheet. It came in like an insert. Yeah. That, like so sheet. They, they might have also included. Paul and uh, and Peter's real tattoos. Like Paul had the rose You're on right. his shoulder, and Peter had the cat with the thirteen or the lightning bolt or whatever number three or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. guessing. I'm guessing, but no, I think that you're right. I think that they probably started with the rose and the because they were the only guys who had tattoos. You know, those two guys and Bon Scott were <laughs> and, <laughs> and sailors and pirates. Were the and criminals yeah. were, the only, were the only people that had tattoos in rock and roll well, in the seventies, I guess. Ace had one that was his name, and I don't know when he got it. He might have got it after Kiss Alive too, but oh, if he had it before yeah. Kiss Alive too, they probably thought it was too shitty to put on because it was pretty bad. <laughs> well, it was. I don't know. I've I've seen some bad. Yeah, I, I have some bad. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, yeah exactly. Yeah, I know, I know what he means. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, I think that, um, we've covered these records quite yes. well there. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of moments, um, and memories that are, that are still, uh, clanging around in my soul and in my brain. But then there's a lot of them that I don't recall, but I'm telling you, there is something about these records that, um, I smell and feel. Yeah. And and uh, that I will never forget. Right. It comes back every time, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. Same. Yeah. If I if I drop that needle on the on the record, the excitement of discovering Kiss as a kid just comes roaring back to me. And that is that's a really magical moment. And, and not every album can do that. It takes a really special album to do that. And like you said, I remember where I was. I remember the smells. Uh, the excitement runs through me all over again. It transports me. And uh, yeah, so uh, big thanks to Kiss for. Uh, I want to. I want to. I want to say thank you to Kiss, but I want to. I want to say thank you to Ronnie and Wayne Flores, in my neighborhood, for yeah. buying Kiss Alive and turning me on to it, and really. Uh, giving me uh, the gasoline that, you know, for the car that is my life yes. of rock and roll music, which yeah. I continue to be a songwriter and a performer solely because of this record. I mean, there's a lot of other things that influence me as a musician and as a young music fan, but Kiss Alive was the reason it made me want, and that cover, right, made me really want to want to uh, experience, you know, rock yeah. and roll. Yeah. Well, uh, I uh, I think we've uh, covered Kiss Alive and Kiss Alive too, and I think the point here is that it really was, especially Kiss Alive, the gateway album for people of our age that were into rock and roll as a kids. This was the one that blew the dam wide open, blew the door off the hinges and just made us go, oh, my God. 
and uh, we're not alone. And that's the that's the magic and the impact and the power of that record. Um, it influenced generations of musicians, and like I said, musicians that you and I have that look up to. We look up to them today. I mean, thank God we've got an Anthrax, and you know, I love the Skid Row records, and I love the Soundgarden stuff. And if I wouldn't have that because I didn't have Kiss, then we'd be missing out on all that as well. So. Uh, just a huge, huge monumental record, uh, both of them actually, Kiss Alive and Kiss Alive 2. If you're a rock and roller, you have to have them in your collection, and, and I'm hoping you do. Um, let's move on to our shot of rock and roll. I was thinking about what to ask you for this episode, Shot of Rock and Roll, and I've always wanted to ask you... And I think people would be interested in knowing how is it that you uh, ended up on that metal show as an audience member and had a chance to stump the trunk, Eddie Trunk. Tell tell me that, about that. That's a good one. That's a good one because of uh, the timing. Because uh, we're, as I mentioned, top of the show. We're we're in March right now, and. My birthday is March 18th, but that's also my true wedding anniversary. We were in Los Angeles. Uh, we, 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 on, I think we landed on uh, St. Patty's Day. That would have been the 17th to arrive at a taping of that metal show via Jim Florentine. We, this, we is me and my wife. Yeah. We but, had rented. Your buddy, your buddies with Jim Florentine. I, I, yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and I had met Don a bunch of times as well. Uh, and Jim Florentine and Don Jameson had come out to see Broken Teeth play in New York uh, a couple of times on the road, right? And um, so, but I, you know, and I knew Jim. It's a long story, but uh, I knew Jim. He came through town on a comedy tour through Austin, Texas, and he was on the morning show at KOBJ with uh, Dale Dudley and all those guys. And it was like I don't know. I don't listen to that show. It's like on at seven a.m. I got better things to do at seven a.m. to listen to these guys, you know, make fun of people or whatever they do. Yeah. And uh, Jim Florentine was on the show, and he was, so it's your first time to Austin, you know, Jim. What do you, what do you, uh, what, you, what's your plans? What do you, what do you want to do when you get to Austin, Texas? You know, and he, and he's, he's in Austin, Texas. He's like, well, it's my first time here, and I'm really bummed. I've been looking in the newspaper ads and stuff for uh, music venues, and Broken Teeth is not playing. They're my, they're my new favorite band and blah, 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 blah. And some friends of mine heard it and they called me and woke me up at like 7.45 a.m. And there's this dude on the radio talking about you right now. And so anyway, <laughs> I hooked up with Jim later and we were friends and blah, blah, blah. So I'm in Los Angeles. It's March 17th. We uh, have an address. We're going to the taping. I think Demi, uh, Demetrius Bermudez who actually has the same birthday as me, who also became ordained solely to marry me and Kate, my wife. Uh, so he was in the in our entourage. Yeah. So we're on our way to the studio <clears throat> to uh, to this taping of that metal show. So we get in and we're you know being 
you know, we're, we're in the stands, you know, I wasn't necessarily a guest on, I wasn't a guest on the show. Right. Legitimately, I was not a guest on the show, but to my surprise, pleasantly, they wrote me into the show as to someone who got to do a walk on and it's scripted, not to, that that's a surprise, but they gave me a question to ask that pertained to the show. The guests were guys from Styx and Vinnie Paul from Pantera. So Steven, correct? Steve Stevens was the musical guest, right? They usually had a guitar guy up in the stands, you know, doing doing a bunch of noodling in between commercial (laughs) breaks and stuff. So, right. So, whatever. And then uh, DJ Will. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, So, William Howell was there as well. And I've known William forever. So, you know, that's pretty much how that happened. And, uh, they, when the show was over, or when I did my little deal, uh, they told me, Jim, Jim said pre-planned, he says, when when they're kicking everybody out, I'm going to wave you over. I want you to do the the photo, the, you know, the, the big money shot at the end of the show that we always do for everyone to kind of trade around. And it's it's something that I think Eddie always did. And they just pulled whoever, you know, they did a bro down, you know, so uh, they made sure, you know, Kate stayed in and they pulled me on there. And that's how that's how you see me in some photos floating around. I'm up there actually with the slotted guests and uh, Steve Stevens, but I'm up there with Jim in those shots. And that's how that that happened. Man, that's a good shot of rock and roll. Well, so real quick, tell us the question. And I don't know. I don't remember it. I think it was, uh, I think I was, it was, uh, I'm guessing, but I think it was, what were the, what were the names of the first three Pantera records without Philip or something like that? Because I thought, I I remember, I'm surprised to hear you say that the question was scripted because when I heard it, I thought it was uniquely, I thought it was uniquely you. It was like something only you would come up with. But maybe they just tried to tailor the question to your personality because it was a, it was kind of a. It was about Pantera, though. Maybe I can't remember. Well, Vinnie Paul was a guest on the show, right? So yeah, maybe it was. I can't remember either. But I well, always... that's that's the point. Is I think that they script everything to to make it tie in, a, at least a little bit to who is asking the question if they are a friend of the. The, you know the the dudes, yeah, you know, yeah. a friend of Wayne or Garth, right. and um, and then they just kind of write, you know, they oh yeah, this one would be a good for good one for Jason. I think it was one they already had written out. So yeah, yeah. well, cool. That's a cool experience. And yeah, and then and then and it's interesting. And there's some pictures floating around somewhere, maybe on my Facebook. But uh, uh, we went to a book signing. The day before, I think we went in the day before and we went to the, like the 16th, I think the night that we got there, we, we went down, we, uh, Kate knew of a book signing that was happening from someone I had never heard the name of, but a Luke Carl. Oh yeah. 
had a book out called something like, and we have it on the shelf over there, The Drunk Diet. Okay. Something like that. The the Drunk Diet. Diet for Drunks or something like that. Yeah. yeah. The Drunk Diet. And uh, we, we, I had never heard of the guy, but turns out that Kate knew of him and that had read about him. And he's the ex of uh, Lady Gaga, I believe. And has Lady Gaga actually, some of her materials actually inspired by him, her relationship, their relationship. And uh, very interesting because I am a Lady Gaga fan. Yeah. Uh, so I'm interested. And the guy's a total rocker. Yeah. And at that time, I had no idea, but he was, had a, he was about to or had just started his show on Sirius on uh, satellite radio. Yep. Uh, and then from then he's, he's, he's infamous at this point, but that was the first time that I met, that I met him. And and at the book signing that we went to was right there on sunset, I believe in this tiny ass bookstore, there's only like eight people in there. You know, you can, it's everything you can imagine, little chairs and he's up at a podium and he's talking about the book and everything. Yeah. And, um, there's the promoters from Monsters of Rock Cruise, Larry and them, they were there in sitting like two aisles, two chairs ahead of me. And I'm going, man, that sure looks like the back of Larry's head. <laughs> it sure looks like, and I'm staring and I'm, so I'm listening to Luke talk and I'm going, man, I swear. So Larry turns around and sees me and we had just been confirmed for the next cruise. So it was like this weird, I don't think he knew we were in LA, so. Yeah, that was anyways added. We went to the rainbow right after and Luke was there. So I'm hanging out with Luke Carl for the first time and just talking about rock and roll. And he was a turns out he was a big Dangerous Toys fan. So it was made a new friend. So, yeah, he's a good shot of rock and roll with a lot of information. Dave. It's funny that you bring up Luke because I, I don't know him personally, but I know he's pretty well known in the uh, in the world of uh, uh, rock and roll broadcasting. And today and for the past number of years, he's married to a girl that used to live here in Austin named Avery Allen. That's exactly right. And they yeah. met at his book signing when he came through Austin. Oh, well, there you Same, go. Just a, maybe a week later, I, like I, a week after I met him, Avery met him. And yeah. I, I knew Avery absolutely. When I worked at South Austin Music, she was coming in looking for an amp and stuff. And yeah. she still has the amp that I sold her. Yeah. yeah. She's a, she was a, I know her as being a local musician and she worked at a, at a bar downtown. And uh, I, I knew her for a number of years and we still stay in touch on, on Facebook, but I don't know her husband. I know who he is. But yeah. It's just interesting that you bring him up today, too. Yeah. The applicators. Yeah. Yeah. She was in the applicators. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, they're in, uh, they're in Nashville. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. And they are really cool people and they are uh, a rock and roll couple for sure. Yeah. 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 They have Les Pauls and Flying V's and Marshalls all over their house. <laughs> Well, I remember her as being a real sweetheart, so I'm I'm sure that he's a nice guy too. If they're you know if they're hooked up together, he's he's great. He's very well spoken. He's super smart, and he just loves rock and roll. So yeah, he's a perfect guy to have you know uh, a microphone in his face to tell stories and play music. 
good deal. All right, man. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this one up for today, and uh, we'll save my shot of rock and roll for another time. I think we've run long on Kiss because it's Kiss, <laughs> the hottest well, band in the land. Yeah, yeah. It's the land, the land, and then the world. Uh, yeah. Before we go, do you know who did the intro on Kiss Alive Two? I do. Who is it? Ah, a guy named. I'm going to murder his last name. His name was Eddie Balandes or something okay. like that. And okay. he was a security guy that worked for KISS. And I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to make the point that I didn't want people to think that J.R. Smallings uh, did the intro on a live two as well. He only did a live one. And I don't know how long he was in the KISS family uh but for a number of years but he's not the guy that does the intro on kiss alive too that's a great question so no i can i can tell that it's two completely different people yeah so yeah. kiss alive uh you wanted the best you got it the hottest band in the land is jr smallings and you wanted the best you got it the hottest band in the world kiss on alive too is eddie Belandes, i believe is how you say his name so, Close enough. I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will love the lip service either way. I think he passed away recently too, sadly. But, uh, but yeah, there you go. Good question. I'm glad you brought that up because I had it on my list of notes and we kind of brushed right over it. But, all right, man, that was great. Kiss Alive and Kiss Alive Two, two uh, gigantic albums that kind of turned us into the people we are today, for better or worse. <laughs> yeah, got that right. <laughs> All right. Well, on behalf of myself, Metal Dave Glessner, and my co-host, Jason McMaster, thank you for watching another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. And as always, please hit that subscribe button on YouTube. We'll talk to you all next time. Thanks for listening.